Stories for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. Coming in from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Week here at the Iconic Wall Center at downtown Vancouver. Hey, it's that time of year again where people are starting to plan their holiday party. No! Is it really? Absolutely, Blake. Christmas? We're thinking about that already? Well, it's never too early to plan these meetings, so... If you are interested in hosting a holiday party here in the heart of downtown Vancouver, call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Incredible spaces here for gathering, including that iconic 34th floor observation deck over the city. Yes. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price, Grady Sassett and Switches Conducting Things. This show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years. And if you missed yesterday's show, we detailed just how fantastic a party it was there at the Performance Center in Langley on Sunday, including at the Burnout Pit, where there was a long line of eager beavers to show just their skills and what kind of rubber they've got. I love the smell of burning rubber in the morning. (laughs) Great deals on new Nissan Leafs and Rogues. The QX50 and QX60 from Infinity lease from 3.99%. No charge maintenance packages with purchase, plus a chance to win 25 large. See, dealer for details because, Blake Price. It is all good at Applewood. I threw to Jeff on the Applewood side on Saturday. Yes. On rank wide. Yeah. Called him Jeff Price. Jeff Price. <laughs> Sounds Early like a, Sounds like an O's NBA player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just so accustomed to throwing to you on that. Mm. Bodog poll question today. We're asking you, will defense by committee work? Yes or no? Can vote. At Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. The Caps are home tomorrow and are actually a favorite against St. Louis. We outlined this yesterday. St. Louis, the best team in the MLS West, and yet, because they have clinched first place, everybody, including Bodog, is anticipating, what do you call it, Blake, a rotational Rotational. side from St. Louis tomorrow night that they've got a few games to play with here, make sure they're fresh for the postseason. So, the Caps are a favorite in this match. And in fact, the Caps are a minus 115, sorry, minus 125 favorite on your Bodog line. I'm taking Vanny and the Sartinis here. They need this one. They really do. On your Bodog line of the day. We'll hear from Rick Talkett here in a second on defense by committee. Um, Not that it would appear to matter based on what the coach has outlined, but Hughes with McWard again. Susie Roenick, and now you're wondering whether it's going to be Susie Roenick as opposed to Cole Roenick. Cole with Tyler Myers, Will Ann and Breesbaugh and Juleson skating as the extra defenseman today. We anticipate uh, one or two of those guys will be sent down to Abbotsford before the season gets going a week from tomorrow. How about that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's hear from Rick Tockett because we were all focused on who's going to play with Quinn Hughes, and Rick talking threw us a curveball yesterday on this committee. Take a listen. Yeah, I think we're a committee, um, and I want them to be used to it, you know. Um, I thought thought Kohler and, uh, and uh, 
Heronic. It was more Kohler. I thought he it wasn't so struggle. I didn't like really his first a little bit. And it's, I said to Footy, it's up to you, but Footy wanted to make the change, and I think it settles things down. I don't think that's an issue with our team. I think it's okay to have a committee. I don't think we're going to have true partners the whole year, so might as well get used to playing with different guys. That was our thought process. Now, a couple of things by way of context here. I, I do think this is born of not necessarily having a guy who can play with Hughes and be trusted to hold those sorts of minutes. But also, and we've seen a little bit of this Blake, and particularly in the Stanley Cup playoffs, I do wonder whether Rick Tockett, Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar, and the coaching staff may lean towards 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. We've seen this a little bit in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Teams like Toronto and Tampa, who sit there and look at it and go, the 12th forward, how much is he really going to play? And if he's not a special teams guy, does he really help us in a big way, or would having seven defensemen, making sure you're fresh on the blue line, protecting against an in-game injury, and just giving the coaching staff more options in terms of matchups from a defense side of things, be a better way to structure your roster on some or your lineup on some nights. On some nights, sure. I'm not going to say blanket-wise. It's it's a stupid idea. But I certainly am not leading off there. I'm going to see what six guys and 12 guys get me first off. And I hear you, and that's been the norm. Very difficult to change culture, of course. But I do wonder if the NHL is going towards 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. We've This isn't the first time that we've talked about this. And, of course, if you do have 7 defensemen, then you know, by process of... Uh, you just extrapolate, you know you're going to have different guys playing with different guys. Well, it seems like on a lot of nights there's not a lot of five-on-five five play, so mm-hmm. you're not necessarily being hurt by it there. If you happen to have a night where it's relatively penalty-free and you've got a guy like Willannon around, yeah, maybe you have him like, take a couple I, I, shifts I to the forward. I don't dispute that the best way to line it up for a regular for an NHL game is 12 forward, 6 defense, and 3 pairs who know each other and have played together and have that chemistry and familiarity. But if you don't, I mean, horses for courses, if if you don't have six guys that you trust in three pairs, is there a different way to skin the cat? Let's hear more from Coach talking on committee. I know a lot of you guys want this who's the guy. Right now we don't have that guy in the set per se. To me, we do have the guys. We have a bunch of guys that can do it. That's the way I look at it. Just like a like in baseball, yeah, you have a lot of relievers that are great relievers. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. So mix and match based on who you're facing that night, who's dangerous, who you like to defend against particular centermen and wingers. Um, learning your your uh, line mate, or in the case of defenseman, your pairing partner's tendencies, though, has has a real benefit. Um, chemistry is not a made-up thing. Um, it can be overvalued sometimes, for sure, but I don't think you can write it off, particularly for defensemen who want to know where their guy is. If there's a green light guy and there's a red light guy in terms of rushing up the ice, you want to know what those tendencies are. Um, early on in the season, I think a little bit of continuity would be nice after, you know, this is a pretty revamped blue line here. If you, It, it, it could... Th- 
could be half, it could be even more, depending on if Myers is eventually dealt. But to start the season, half of the blue line is new. Well, no, it's still, it's 4-6. It's really just Myers and Hughes that are the holdovers. Ronick is, is still new. I think you, you owe it to them to to be relatively consistent in the early going until they've watched each other for a lot of day, a lot of games. McMord back with Hughes again. Here's Coach talking on Cole McMord. Well, it's part of the process. I don't know yet. Uh, he's still going to play, you know, when he plays the next game, he's going to play a game here coming up. Uh, Want to see a little bit more. And, uh, and you know, one thing, you, you can't be scared to do things. I'm not scared to do things. Now, the other thing I thought about this, and look, let me be clear off the top. I do think the Vancouver Canucks have alignment between their management and their coaching staff. And I don't believe that Rick Tockett is already sort of sending messages to on high about you didn't get me the personnel that I need. But coaches are also cagey beings. And I do wonder, and I'll read a tweet from listener Deljeet who said, is this his message to management that there is a hole in the defense that no current player can fill and implying that they need to look for one? I did wonder a little bit about that myself. That talk has gone through a couple of weeks of training camp and preseason here and looks around and goes, there ain't nobody here who can play with Hughes. And so we're going to go by committee. And if that's one of the reasons we struggle, uh, well, didn't have the personnel. You know, if, if it's a Bruce Boudreaux camp and this is what we're seeing, I would say absolutely. Um, I'm not saying he's messing. I'm just no. wondering whether this is the groundwork for if the season goes sideways. Yeah. Talk it has an out in terms of we simply do not have the personnel on the blue line to be better than we are. I, I mean, the managers don't coach, but I think in a case like this, if the managers truly didn't believe that this was the right decision, I believe that there's a, a, enough of a relationship between these three guys, Alvin Rutherford and 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 Talkett, that that would get messaged down that, listen, do not play McWard with Hughes, that we don't think he's ready for that. Yada yada yada. I, I I think that it's it's got the blessing. Um, I I think if if Rick Tockett thinks that there's a huge hole here, he probably has messaged that already directly in the proper channels. Well, and like they've gotten three new defensemen in the last seven months. Totally. But the right side is we know what that is. It's a unicorn. And and to that that's a good defense from Rutherford and Alvine. Rick, we see it. We get it. They don't grow on trees. As soon as we can, we'll find your right shot defenseman. Yeah. But it, it's not there now. And I do think Alvin has been pretty consistent in messaging that they're building, but this isn't a finished right. product. Exactly. And yeah. Rutherford, frankly, too, when he weighed in with everything having to go right. They know. They absolutely know. And that brings me, Blake, to Jacob Bernard Docker, who is on waivers today from the Ottawa Senators. We knew the Senators had a couple of issues there with two one-time first-round right shot defensemen who had yet to seize hold of NHL opportunities. Bernard Docker is one, the 26th overall pick in the 2018 draft, a former Alberta junior player and University of North Dakota guy, 32 NHL games over three seasons, just two assists, not scoring in the least in the American Hockey no, League either. That's, where that's disturbing. Yeah. Where he's 99 games and just 15 points. But if he is a defender, and I do believe that's his calling card here. He wasn't prolific at college either. A 23-year-old 
right-handed, six-foot, 190-pound defenseman that may be worth a look on waivers. Uh, the other defenseman there that people have their eyes on is Lassie Thompson, a first-round pick of Finn, 19th overall in the 2019 draft, a right-shot 23-year-old defenseman uh, of roughly the same size, actually. He's played 18 NHL games over two seasons with five assists. He scores a little more at yeah. the American Hockey League level, but alas, Bernard Docker is the guy on waivers today. And there may be other right-shot defensemen on waivers as we get towards Tuesday and opening night in the National Hockey but, League. But, you know, we're still talking about 23-year-old guys. I mean, we're not talking about, um, you know, grizzled veterans nope. that, that make Cole McWard look like a baby, no, right? No, but so. I, I guess what we'd be wondering is these are guys who have played a lot more pro hockey than well, Cole McWard. In terms of, are, do they, are, are they exp- exponent? level uh, more games yes but not really on the large scale i mean playing 99 games is not a lot of games in the nhl um, ahl that's ahl bernard doctor is 99 games in the ahl oh is it okay yeah yeah he's 32 32 in the NHL. versus five for mcward so yeah. I, I think we can just say that n- none of these guys have played yeah. a lot of games well t- you know thompson if he gets there's 135 ahl games but again um no you're, you're not talking about guys who are yet bonafide NHLers, no. So I, I, I think you're just you've got another option there if you pick up a guy like that on waivers. You got another mm-hmm. McWard esque player, but I don't think it's it's a it's a profoundly mm-hmm. uh, huge upgrade if it's an upgrade at all. Right. Elise Pettersson missing a second practice in a row today. Team says he's just feeling ill. There's a lot going around. There is a lot going around. I don't suspect he would play in Abbotsford tomorrow. No, and and don't don't push it. I mean, no, there's no need. But if we don't see him Thursday, I, my yeah, antenna the Thursday would be. be a little bit weird. So once again, it's Jack Jack Studnicka holding down the center spot between Kuzmenko and Beauvillier, and really um, same alignment they practiced with yesterday. So you do wonder whether this has a little bit more real to it. Miller with DiGiuseppe and Besser, Suter with Joshua and Garland, Bluger with Oman and Hoaglander, and of course Danica will be in the mix on that fourth line when he's not subbing for Elias. It'd be very strange to play the Abbotsford game with anything other than what we see at practice today. It's the second straight day. You've cemented these guys in for 48, and in some cases this goes back even further than that, the case of McWard and Hughes. So um, I don't know why you change that for the yeah. game all of a sudden. If you're going to make a change, then you change in... in yeah. On Thursday, Miller Besser PDG also goes back yeah. further than the yeah, last exactly. two, right? So, uh, anyways, we'll new, see. Uh, well, and also, you know, this is a uh, relatively new uh, procedure for the Canucks after having moved the team to Abbotsford, and I know it's a fun night out there in the Valley for those who get a chance to see the Vancouver Canucks, or at least many component parts of the Vancouver well, but, Canucks. But that's at actually Abbotsford Center. that's the interesting thing is that because the Canucks have done so many cuts already. Outside of a sick EP forty, this yep. is effectively the Vancouver yeah, Canucks. To some degree. It's, it's a pretty good uh, chance for yep. the folks in the valley to, to get a good taste of it. Joshua up on that third line again with Suter and Garland. Blake, I, I do think that's a little bit of a tell that he doesn't particularly love Hoaglander and Garland. Yeah, uh, on the same line, uh, given how diminutive they are. Let me just ask you this: Can can Hoaglander make an impact on this team on a fourth line? Is that what he needs, or is that just the way it's got to be? Because you can't 
Well, you can't risk losing him on waivers, and you can't play him with another. I don't know that anybody swinger. really necessarily makes an impact per se on the fourth line, but can he do that job? Can he mm-hmm. get into his uh, coach's good books by performing? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, put it this way: I'd rather have him there than in another organization. Again, wall work, um, enthusiasm. You know, he can play physical. He can do all that sort of stuff. Wall work. It's the buzzword of Wall training work camp. and board battles. We yeah. love the alliteration now, don't we? We do. BC Lions Friday at BC Place against Winnipeg. This is the first place showdown to 11 and 4 clubs. Winner wins the season tiebreak between the two, so it's a huge step up in terms of hosting the CFL West Division Final. Now, we know the Lions are going to host a playoff game, but of course it could still be the West semifinal, which they hosted last week or last year. They are hoping, needless to say, to host the biggest game that you can outside of the Grey Cup, and that's the West Division final in November. Really good news from Lions practice yesterday. And I got to say, there have been several injuries this year with the Lions where you go, ooh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't look good. And then only see the player bounce back like Bo Gumbo playing last week. Suk Chung was out early for the Saskatchewan game. Like, they knew he wasn't going to play early. He's back practicing. Jalen Edwards Cooper, the corner, was a late scratch Friday against Saskatchewan. He's back practicing. David Mackey, it looked like an awful injury. The fullback, he's back practicing. Even Dane Evans, the backup quarterback. They're all back practicing. Alas, uh, Janurian Grant, the fantastic kicker. And he's explosive with the ball in his hands. He's back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So yes. You can almost see that both teams, knowing how big a game this is, are getting all the reinforcements back at practice this week in anticipation not only of this one, which will go a long way, but potentially of a fourth game in the now, playoffs between these two sides. Doesn't look like Demario Houston's going to play a corner for the Bombers. He was in sweatpants today at practice while Jamal Parker uh, filled in for him with the bomber, so that that could light up the or you know widen the eyes of of uh, Lions receivers if if there's an inexperienced corner and Vernon Adams coming off a 400 yard game and yeah. eclipsing 4,000 yards passing in the CFL season, uh, the Canucks have, or the Lions have brought a running back back to the fold. Jaquan Hardy, he had been on the practice squad earlier. They have brought him back again wanting to reinforce those positions where you may well have injury we saw this with some defensive backs last week see with a running back today you want to make sure you've got guys who can step in in a playoff game if need be and of course they gain something by being on the practice squad and practicing with the club hardy's a former bronco spent some time with dallas as well Football south of the border where the Seattle Seahawks feel pretty good about themselves. 3-1 and one with a 24-3 easy-peasy victory over the New York Giants last night. And boy, are the Giants a mess right now. I mean, it got mean at the end of the game. Because <laughs> the Seahawks all wanted sacks. The defense was just, they were just mean. And the Giants were missing their starting left tackle. And Daniel Jones uh, seemed to be taking the ire of his head coach. Saw Brian Dayball walk away from a sideline conversation just shaking his head. But did you see that other, uh, when they ran on third and eight at one point uh, late in the, you know, with about eight minutes left, they ran on third and eight. And I could see Jones, you could read, lip, read his lips coming back. Why didn't we pass? 
Like, you know, that must have come from the side, the, the play call. And you could he kept on repeating it. Why didn't we pass? And it may well be, son, because you've taken enough abuse back <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, maybe. We want to make sure you're healthy for next week. We're not exactly thrilled with you tonight, but you give us a better chance than the next guy up at that position. 11 sacks from Seattle last night. Ooh. They and went from hey, five sacks on the season to 16 yeah. in the blink of an eye. And, and hey, 10 years later in the same stu- stadium where they won their Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Another Seattle blowout victory. Devin Witherspoon, the first-round corner with a 97-yard pick six, and boy, has he come on here in the last couple of weeks for the Seahawks, hearing less and less about the guys they passed over to take him fifth overall. There is some bad news for the Seahawks, and so far – They've had a lot of nicks and knocks there and yet have been able to play to a 3-1 and one record. Poor Jamal Adams. His first game back since week one last year where he tore a quad and that was that. Suffers a concussion. Two, two guards got hurt last night for Seattle, Haynes and Lewis. And then the big nose tackle, Jaron Reed, who, for my money, second tour with the Seahawks, He's going to have to play for them this year. I'm not sure they're deep enough at that position where they can be a good run defense minus Reed. So they've all, they all left the game with injury. But here's the thing, Blake. Usually you're going to bemoan a bye in week five. No, it's good timing. It's the earliest yeah. bye you can have. A lot of teams like to have that bye a little deeper in the season because – well, you have fewer consecutive games, plus you tend to have a few more injuries as the season goes along. Uh, bye may come at a good time for the Seahawks because Geno Smith got nicked last night and he came back into the game. It wasn't exactly a glorious effort passing-wise by the Seahawks last night. Didn't need it. So you're at Cincinnati. They say Jamal Adams, by the way, will play next game for sure Okay, with the bye. Well, and and uh, they didn't really make a big deal about Reed's injury at the, uh, while on the broadcast. It's but a he, shin injury. They, you can see it. He clanged shins with his teammate, I believe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would guess that's a deep bruise sort of thing, but I would, would guess in two would, weeks he's would fine. Hope, would yeah. hope so. Seattle at Cincinnati on the 15th of October, and it is one of those 10 a.m. starts, which traditionally has not been a great spot right, for the yeah. Seahawks playing those Eastern time zone games flying across the country. We shall see. What can you tell me about the Whitecaps lineup for the big one tomorrow at home against St. Louis? Well, I spoke to Ali Ahmed yesterday, and uh, he just reiterated the same thing I, I believe I said in advance of the, the last game, that Vandy's telling them it's not about you know who's necessarily due or who's looking good in practice. Who's got a full gas tank? Who's who can give me full legs for sixty minutes? Because he doesn't mind bringing his subs at sixty, but I need an hour out of somebody who can give give me an hour. So I think Vanny's, you know, looking around and going, who can give me an hour? Can Golden White give them an hour? I think Golden White can always give you an hour. So I would bet okay. heavily on them. Um, I, I think ideally they win this match with as close to an uh, an A team as they can. And then they rotate in for the next match where they feel like they've got a little more leash and maybe Hoylet starts next game and instead mm-hmm. of a Galder, instead of a White. That in sort Seattle of on the weekend. In Seattle, yeah. So um, I think Which he's gonna- is kind of the bigger game here because you can still catch Seattle and we'll see what happens tonight. Again, if the Caps win tonight and some things go well for them on the out-of-town scoreboard with, what, Minnesota and Kansas City? Yeah. They could clinch, yeah. Uh, yeah tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Tonight. Yeah, tomorrow um, 
Seattle's only a big game if they win this one, though. It's, one, it's one of those true. scenarios, that's right? True. So that's true. Got to uh, got to cross every bridge as you get to it. And the other thing, uh, is there any chance we see Russell Tybert here down the stretch? Like, I know he's been a little bit buried. This is Captain Cap here. I, you know what I think would be really nice? If the Caps can win the next two games, kind of solidify a top four spot. And then give Russell a full 90 to say goodbye at BC ah. Place, because we imagine this is Russell's final I would suspect year. he subs in the last match on decision day regardless, um, unless it's just the, the situation prevents it. But uh, if they can get a couple of wins and reduce the uh, enormity of decision day a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I think we're going to see Russell Tybert at some point here. Now he's only 30. Yeah. It's just staggering because he, he came up so young. Capped 27 times for Canada. He has made 253 appearances for the Whitecaps as an MLS side. He was, in fact, with the Whitecaps before they were an MLS side. I mean, I we, we love Russell. He's been great with us. Extraordinary dude. Um, just a, just a, an oh, amazing guy. Oh, he's gotten guy. buried on the depth chart, but rightfully so, as the level picked up. The level here. picked up. Um, now, I, I, you know, he's going from a four hundred fifty thousand dollars paycheck this year with the with the Whitecaps to retirement, or you know, can he be amongst the highest paid CPL players? Does he want to continue yeah, and that's fair and go to Vancouver FC or Pacific or or go home um, to go to Ontario and 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 apply the trade there and you know maybe make 90 or 100 grand as one of the top paid players in that league well and you bring up a good point here because we had talked in previous weeks diver caicedo and it looks like they're going to get a really good transfer fee there from the Mm -hmm. Colombian side yeah uh cordoba the dp that didn't work out here and his salary now available when you add russell's ticket to that like, I trust Axel Schuster to take that money and redeploy it pretty well for next year. Like, this is the beginning of something, I think, with the Whitecaps. We we saw it a couple years ago when Manny took over midseason. They had a great run. Fell just short last year. But the model the Caps that, have, that the Caps have been telling us about for the better part of a decade, a model that a lot of us at different points laughed at and said, this will never work, and why are you doing it on the cheap? Like, it's coming into fruition. It's coming into vision here. You know, Axel, a few years ago saying Philadelphia is sort of the team that I look at and go, that's what we've got to be. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily getting the huge name international DPs, but getting really good players from South America, developing your own guys, taking advantage of the super draft, taking advantage of your own academy. You start to see this project moving along now. It's showing progress. He uh, does have to, if Junior Horlet wants to stay, you're going to have to probably up the pay a little bit there. If Richie sure. Lorea is going to stay, you're going to have to up the pay a little bit there. But you still have some left over. After, after yeah, those no, are no, three no, good tickets. That, that doesn't yeah. need it all up. No, no. doesn't need it all up. No. Baseball playoffs start today. In fact, for many of you, by the time you hear this, we'll know whether the Blue Jays are twins of one game, one of their wild card series. Have you seen what is going on in the resale market with this Twins Toronto playoff game no people are going gaga in the so, Twin cities the minnesota twins and this is this this is almost beyond belief the minnesota twins have lost 18 consecutive playoff games every single playoff game they've been in since 2004 impossible they've to lost think. impossible to think like there are few losing streets in the history of this sport bigger than 18 games no but there's there's very few um, streaks that you hear like, that could be as smackingly. Well, and especially this is baseball. 
Yeah. You know? Every five games, you're going to win one. Right. But no. <laughs> you know, like, this is the sport where everybody wins 50, everybody loses 50. It's what you do in the other 62 that's going to matter. But also, you've made the playoffs at this point in this streak. So you're, you a be a team. Good team. you're a decent you're team. You're telling me you haven't had an ace starter go out there and throw a gem once in 18 in games? In 18 games. There have been 12 World Series winners since the Twins last won a playoff game. Blake, 6,937 days between Def- playoff defies victories. Description. Defies description. So here's the thing. The Twin Cities, it's a coolish market for postseason baseball. Resale market, you can get into this game for less than 15 American dollars. Wow, Winnipeg fans, alert, alert. If you're a Jays fan in Winnipeg, drive down. Go check it out. Uh, Ross released a couple of interesting decisions there. Cam Eden is going to be on it for the Blue Jays. We imagine he's a pinch runner type. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Ryu, not a part of this lineup. Uh, and Trevor Richards made it over Bowden Francis. They're carrying 12 pitchers. We'll see where it goes. In the days of uh, load management, this is one thing that does take me off about baseball's playoffs is the roster size. I, I hate that everyday players for you in the regular season aren't there with you. Well, every day, I mean, it's more starters than everyday players. But they're, they're available to you, theoretically, no, exactly. for the last game of well, the season. Well, I mean, you have the choice. You could have put Rio on the roster and taken him out, yeah. uh, out of the pen. Have you heard what's happening in Texas on social media with the baseball fans of the Astros and the Rangers? No. So Astros win the division by virtue of the head-to-head record against Texas. Astros have been to seven consecutive postseasons, eight of the past nine, including a couple of World Series. Rangers haven't been there in a number of years. In fact, Rangers were 22 games better this year than they were last year. So... The Rangers have a pretty big celebration after getting into the postseason. Houston also has the celebration, but it's a little more subdued, right? Brian McTaggart of MLB.com, who covers the Astros, the Rangers partied last night while the Astros had a champagne toast and quickly turned their attention to Sunday and one more win. In fact, the Astros' official account weighed in on the Rangers celebration, we celebrate titles in Houston. So shot fired here. Emily Jones, longtime Rangers television reporter, decided to go to social media and said uh, they partied for 30 minutes in the clubhouse. Then they took it to the house. They faced a legit ace in game 162. What's happened here? Evan Grant covering the Rangers. The Rangers popped bottles and quickly retired to the dining room to watch the final outs of the Astros game. Several players were showed, showered and dressed by the time Houston game ended. And they also pointed out that Alex Bregman and members of the Astros were wearing goggles. So poor Emily Jones got so um, harassed on Twitter that she ended her account. So there's some pretty bad blood there if those teams wind up meeting. And, of course, Texas has to get through Tampa first. But did you see the Blue Jays celebration? Yeah, it was the strobe lights. Rather exuberant. You just lost the game. You lost the last two. Yeah. You backed in. Yeah. It's... It, you know what? If getting it, to the baseball playoffs is still achievement. Yeah, it is. There's six out of 15. 
And as we have talked about, it's harder to get to the baseball playoffs than it is to get to um, the playoffs in the other leagues. Maybe the NFL is the exception. But so I can understand how you still want to look at it as achievement. It's a very long season. You play a lot of games to get there. But wow, that was too much for me with the Blue Jays. I, I I wish that the first round of the playoffs was a little bit longer, just to make that well, celebration it. worthwhile. Like you've lived for that's maybe it. three more days. Exactly. Like you're having that degree of a party on Sunday, and by Wednesday night your season could be. You over. could be crying in your beer. If it's a seven game series, and you you potentially have added two weeks to your season, okay, yeah. by all like, means. Don't get me wrong. I have long said conference champions should touch the trophy in hockey, especially if you're at home. Take it for a parade lap. Your fans want to celebrate. By all means, celebrate. You're two months deep into the playoffs exactly. at that point. Yeah. 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 It's weird. You're the third wild card team. You've lost the last <laughs> two. <laughs> a little much for me. Hey, shout out listeners. Damien, Adam, and Tissel. Meet the, uh, met them here today at the Wall Center. They're in town for a conference and mentioned they listen to the show. So thank you, fellas, for stopping by and saying hello. We're at the Lower lobby level of the North Tower. You can look right in on the proceedings here and wave hi. We'll come on out and say hello. And just a reminder, uh, we are starting a new regular guest lineup this week. So uh, you're accustomed to hearing Patrick Johnson on Tuesdays. Patrick is going to be a Thursday guest for us going forward, which brings us to the menu brought to you by AG1. And if you want to make sure you've got a new leaf turned over for this hockey season, maybe you've started your uh, your beer league season too. You want to feel a little bit better, have a little bit more energy perhaps. Well, drink AG1. Go to drinkag1.com slash and Price and get your special offer. Frank Saravelli is going to join us from the Daily Faceoff and Frankly Speaking podcast. And we're going to be joined by Frank on a weekly basis, in some cases a bi-weekly basis, every, or sorry, twice a week. Uh, this is a twice-a-week week with Frank because he was here in town last week. We had him in studio. He went and visited a bunch of Canucks, did his Frankly Speaking podcast on them, and has yet another bold prediction about these Vancouver yeah. Canucks. He is a fan of what is going on here. So we talked to Frank. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including some incredible football prospects out at UBC. John Shannon joins, joins us. A lot of talk about the Canadian sports media landscape and the future of television versus streaming with John today. In fact, we, we kind of got into it backhandedly, just reminiscing about Dave Hodge and you know his protest on Hockey Night in <laughs> yes. Canada. But that led to one question after another after another about where sports media is going and how you're going to watch the games going forward and of course John with his expertise in broadcast television and his contacts was very helpful in lighting that path happy hour brought to you by yellow dog brewing neighborhood brewing workshop spirits and the penticton v season well underway means it's time to visit the neighborhood watch it's a vendor experience at the south okanagan event center enjoy your favorite neighborhood beers while attending any event or a penticton Penticton V's game, and Blake and I have been there several times. Fantastic vantage point. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business 
and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Harrison Price from Wall Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Head down to the Richmond Auto Mall right now. Check out Applewood Mitsubishi. And I urge you, if you've never driven a plug-in hybrid before, please do. Take the Outlander for a little test drive right now and see what I've been experiencing over the last month and a half. An unbelievable drive quilted leather seats, amazing technical features as well. You'll fall in love. Head to Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Automobile. Bodog poll question today. We're asking you, will defense by committee work? Yes or no? Vote at Sikarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Baseball playoffs start today. Atlanta's the favorite. Get them at plus 220 to win the World Series on your Bodog line of the day. We're recording. Joining us now from Daily Faceoff and the Frankly Speaking podcast, he is an NHL insider and very pleased to announce he's going to be joining us on Fridays this year. And uh, as news merits, Frank Saravelli, and you were here in Vancouver last week, joined us in the Go Goat Sports studio, went off to talk to some Vancouver Canucks and got a fascinating uh, couple of answers there from Coach Talkett and Thatcher Demko on the Frankly Speaking podcast. For those who missed it, tell us what you learned. Yeah, it was really interesting to get a vibe check of where everyone's at and I actually thought the most enlightening naturally he's a good talker but Ian Cole um, to really explain for a guy that's every year for the last nine years not only has his team made the playoffs but he's had an authentic true chance to win the Stanley Cup last year he's with the Canes previously he was with the abs etc etc go down the list winning back-to-back cups with the Pens, he had lots of options. Sorry, last year he was with the, uh, the Lightning. I mean, look, all those teams have been in the mix the last handful of years. And so why the Canucks? It was the first question I asked him. You could go anywhere. Clearly he has a longstanding relationship with Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvine, but and knows Rick Tockett. But the real answer is because he got a sense from them on July 1 that they're sick of losing. They want to turn this around, and it's been 10 years of this. I don't need to preach. You guys already know this. But to hear someone verbalize that we need to change this, that was incredibly significant, I think, because everyone in Vancouver has been waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I was going to ask you, and we'll get on to the other uh, couple things I wanted to mention in in, uh, Frankly Speaking, but as you told us last week, you've known Rick Tockett for a long time. Obviously a competitive guy. Uh, there's a portion of the podcast where Rick Tockett gets off the bus after a road trip at 2 a.m. And the assistant coaches basically have to talk him off the ledge. He's on the street corner. He's still angry about the game. Last year, there wasn't a whole lot at stake. He 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 knew he was coaching a non-playoff side when he took over. And it was about setting things up for this year. How do you think he's going to deal emotionally? with potentially an uneven season or potentially an up and down inconsistent season from the I Canucks? I think really well because he has, as he mentioned, the support group that's able to tell him. And I got to tell you that unprompted those players bringing up the idea of playing for 
Adam Foote and the Sedins being around at practice. And Mike Yo has all of this experience. Sergey Gonchar. Like these are, you know, top level Hall of Fame caliber players. Rick Tockett, no slouch himself. Um, that to find that even keel, I hate the cliche, um, but to have someone that can kind of walk you back off the plank, it's game two. They lose 6 1, and he's standing on the street corner at two o'clock in the morning, basically talking to himself. Relax is what he was told. And so that pressure of stepping into a Canadian market for the first time in his career as a player or coach, he's been around 33 years. Um, that's a real thing. And I also think when you step into a role like that and things are maybe at times worse than you thought, body language, compete, all these different things that we've talked about for the last couple seasons with the Canucks, practice habits, attention to detail, it can be daunting and overwhelming, but when you have six months to get your feet wet or now 10 months, whatever it is since he took over, there are no surprises anymore. You can begin to make changes and you can begin on day one of training camp to start to instill some of those things that you wanted to see for a while. So um, I think he's going to manage it well. Um, I just, he doesn't, there's no BS. Like you, you heard him talk this week, you know, some, not secrets, but Hey, here's how things are going to work this year. And for better or for worse, that's his game plan. And he's just going to go out and chase it. The veterans of, uh, of this team that have been around have said all the right things about turning things around and winning games. Quinn Hughes has said it, that's Demko has said it. And it's good to have guys like Ian Cole around because they've done it. Um, they can maybe guide them through any potholes along the way this season um, and allow them to, to stay on track. But w- what level of desperation do you think this team has got versus focus? Those are, and you want to have a little bit of desperation, but of course you don't want to be so desperate that you feel like every game is, is, uh, is the end of the playoffs if you lose. So uh, what, what level of desperation do you think these veterans of this team are at? It's pretty high, but I think it's healthy. That I asked that kind of same exact question to Rick Tockett of knowing that you need to get off to a good start, knowing that there's so much riding on that, that this team can't turf its season by mid-November again or else, that can be pretty daunting to step into, but seems pretty process-driven. And it seems like when you listen to Ian Cole, that sort of stacking up a bunch of marginal victories on each other they're probably going to help this team get off to the start that it needs. Um, I also think maybe I'm absolutely crazy, but there's probably something to be said for almost everything that could go wrong has at some point, this team has to figure it out. Right. Am I nuts in thinking that there do some good luck too. <laughs> You're talking to two scarred individuals on that topic. in a scarred market. Right. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. But there's good luck that that is deserved to them. Now they've had these great rookie performances over the last handful of years. So I guess that's sort of some good luck in, in seeing a, a young player jump into the lineup and be good. But I think a, a bigger picture good luck thing is, is probably due for them as well. Yeah. I mean, how about the conversation with Thatcher Demko? Like he, I, I don't know how public this was and I couldn't get a sense, but I mean, he said point blank that his groin was nearly completely torn and needed surgery. Like 
my sense is, and just look at his numbers, he's never had numbers like that in his career. That happened before the season started, and he tried to gut through it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a – and not pinning it on him, but maybe that's a reason why they didn't make the playoffs. One reason why. Just having a healthy Thatcher Demko should get this team pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. He He's my pick to win the Vezina this year. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, I think he's that wired in, and I think this summer for the first time in a long time, he was able to sort of completely heal and enter the enter camp with a game plan to feel optimal uh, by puck drop. That hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, and you're right, Frank. I would not seen it reported with that degree of gravitas in terms of the groin injury and almost requiring surgery, and of course, We'll be monitoring his workload here this year because I think, as it stands with a lot of NHL goaltenders, we've come to learn that you know two out of three is probably optimal. Anything more than that, you're flirting. You're flirting with some problems. So I, I did ascertain what I think the ideal is in terms of a split. I think they're looking at fifty-five. Yeah, that's yep. about right. Yeah, so yeah. You know, a little less than two out of three is probably great. But that brings us to the defense in front of him, Frank. And, and, you know, we've talked to goaltending experts in the past, guys like Kevin Woodley and others who talk about it's not just the games. It's just how busy are you? How difficult are the games? And, boy, the Canucks How difficult are the practices with Ian Clark? That true. That guy is a grinder. Is he ever. And I just even being at UBC last week, I happened to get there really early and saw it firsthand. Like, it is no joke. Ian Mm -hmm. Clark... He demands a lot. He does. Talkett said yesterday, guys better get used to playing with all sorts of different partners because we're going to be defense by committee this year, not necessarily set pairings. How does that strike you? I like it. He was honest uh, and brought it up a few times that the Canucks played 16 defensemen last year. 16. Mm -hmm. Some teams don't see like 16 forwards in a season. We used to think that 12 was a lot. I remember when, when that made headlines, 12 and 13 was a lot. And then to get to 16. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's hoping that mostly everyone's healthy and that the additions of Susie and now a full year of Philip Ronick and Cole will help cut down on that. And theoretically, you know, you'd like to be at nine or 10, but some of these other guys are going to see time breeze, and McWard and all like they're, they're all going to be in the mix. Um, but I like that. It's like, no, no, you don't get to just get comfortable and have a security blanket in the guy that you play with. And all of a sudden, if that gets thrown to the wolves for whatever reason, because everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, you got to be ready to adjust. You've got to be ready to play with anyone. And so I think taking away that comfortability factor is probably a really healthy thing. Marvelous stuff, Frank. Uh, great insight from last week. It was fantastic seeing you here, and uh, we'll catch up again Friday. See you guys soon. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group and me. The segment is called Hashtags. It's the best and worst of Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick. Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate and you access that equity 
without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now is the time to reach out. Find them at Jason.Mortgage. I'm going to start us off today, Blake, because Alfonso Davies has competition. And this kid has a long runway. At BR Football, 13-year-old Davian Kimbrough became the youngest player ever to play professional football in the U.S. That's soccer, of course. When he made his USL debut on Sunday. He's a Mexican-American national, so he can play for El Tri or he can play for the U.S. That has yet to be declared. He played for Sacramento's USL side. 13 years, 7 months, and 13 days. The previous record was held by a kid named Alex Kai, who played for Real Salt Lake second team at 13 years, 9 months, and 9 days. Now, you may remember Freddie Adu. Yep. Of course, legend. The American wonderkind. Yeah. He is the youngest first team player. 14 years, 10 months, and 1 day when he stepped on the pitch with D.C. United. But the youngest goal scorer in the history of USL is our boy Alfonso Davies. 15 years, 6 months, and 13 days. Blake, this Davian Kimbrough has precisely 23 months to score a goal and set the new record. Score a goal professionally or in Major League Soccer? In USL. In In USL. USL. So professional. So yeah, yeah, you're quite right. He may move up to the first team before he before he gets to Alfonso Davies' age. He's a he's a mature looking kid for his age for sure. But make no mistake, he still looks like a like a teen. And it's just so strange to see him checking into the to the match and high five in the veteran players because there's thirty year olds in the USL. Like the three year old. Like, like I wouldn't be surprised if there's a keeper who's three times his age. Yeah, in this league. totally potential. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we were talking yesterday. To me, this is one of the fun fascinations of the sport, that kids that young can get on a pitch with seasoned professionals. Well, you've talked about size not mattering as much in soccer, and that's, that's the it. thing, that's right? That's it. You can, if you've got the skill, you've got the skill, no matter what the age or size is. Speaking of footy, at Char underscore Cliff, Charlie Clifford covering uh, Major League Soccer in Cincinnati, uh, where they won the Supporter Shield. Pat Noonan on the significance of capturing the supporter's shield. Quote, I think that has now surpassed the MLS Cup in terms of relevancy. That's not to take away the desire for our team to hold an MLS Cup trophy. End quote. This is the tough part about Major League Soccer being different than 90% of the world's soccer leagues having playoffs, is you've grown up, many of these players have, and coaches following European soccer where you win the regular season and that's it. And that's 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 all the marbles right there. You play all those games in the regular season to hoist that trophy. Mm-hmm. And so for many of them, and some of them are European, Vanny Sartini, European guy, the regular season is all that they've ever known is in terms of winning a championship. And now they come here and they go, okay, I win this and then I've got to win Another tournament now. I mean, there's more complicated than this. Go check out what League MX does. They have two halves. They have a. They have two championship seasons, basically a fall and a spring. It's very weird. So it's not the only one that's odd, but ninety percent of the league, of the world probably does just go by regular season, lifting the trophy. And you know, you you do play an awful lot of games. 
shouldn't that be worth more yeah. than getting hot at the right moments? You know, it, it's it's a funny thing. Let me ask you this though, because I, I, I've done some reading here recently on um, soccer and the economics of soccer, and particularly uh, with the big clubs. And did you see that Chelsea's looking for a half billion dollar loan? They've overextended themselves on players, and so now they're Jeez. Chelsea of all places. That effort for a super league. Whenever it was last yep. year, a couple of years ago, I would suspect we see that again. Yeah, probably. I, I would. I would suspect that one day we're going to move to a European Super League. The competitive imbalance is just so stark. Mm-hmm. You know, for clubs that come on up, like Luton, for example, like you're never ever, you know. And there's even talk about like, oh, it'd be better just to stay in the championship, right, not play Premier League, because then you can win things. The, yeah, you can buy for a title. Yeah. kicked in you've got like match losing streaks that date back to like the 60s like you know this little side hasn't won at chelsea or hasn't won at liverpool since like 1967 or something yeah. like that yeah uh, and it's just and we're seeing it in golf to a degree you know golf's looking around going you know what do we need 125 player field eliminating the inefficiencies mm-hmm. yeah and playing in the same sandbox with others who are like you, I think that's coming in a more pronounced and yet way. the Disney minnow victory oh and, is is right so precious when it does happen and and every so long moon. as you still have events like the FA Cup and the Canadian Championship more domestically, I think you still have that storyline available to you. Presuming that if they form a Super League, they're invited to those tournaments. Fair enough, and, and that's why I think. You know, ultimately, there needs to be a reckoning here where people understand that really, if it's going to be, we're seeing in college football as well, the super conferences that are forming, that there's not a lot to be gained by Team X being so much better than Team Y and playing them twice a year. That's that's my only pleasure I'm taking in Bryce Young's struggles to start the season is it looks good on the SEC. I, I, I want I, I want the SEC to have a little bit of a. The SEC's not doing very well yeah. in uh, uh, outside its conference this year. At three down nation, Jeshwin Antwi nails the onside punt for a first down. We have long taken fascination on this show with some of the deeper rules in the football rule book. We have seen Coach Belichick in New England exploit it fair bit over his tenure. How about the Montreal Alouettes and Antwi? If you miss this, he lines up in the backfield. So he's quote unquote an onside man, no different than what a punter would be in punt formation or a punt protector would be. They throw him a little swing pass out of the backfield. It's second and 18. So the Red Blacks defense is all hanging back. They're not worried about the little pass into the flats because they're gonna they're gonna run up and make the tackle yeah. on second and eighteen. The kid drops the ball, taps it with his foot past the line of scrimmage, then falls on it. It's deemed by CFL rules an onside punt and a recovery, fresh set of downs. Which brings me to Coach C. Clement, Chris Clement, who's a Football coach in Quebec works with the Concordia Stingers. I've been waiting years for somebody to do this. The amateur rule book still requires you to make the line to gain. 
so he would have had to have punted it 18, 19 yards and then recovered it there. But the CFL rulebook has this insane exception where a recovered punt past the line of scrimmage is an automatic first down. And we tried this against the Lions earlier this year. So it is now part of the Montreal Alouettes playbook, and I think it's going to mandate a rule change in the offseason in the CFL. Yeah, it has to. Because if you look at the video, he taps the ball. It goes like six inches past One the, yard, yeah. if that, yeah. before he falls on it. And in fact, Matt, I was almost a little bit amazed at how accurate the player was on knowing where that the line, line of, of scrimmage, scrimmage is. was. Yes. And... Just nailed it. Like he, he No, it, it's it's not it, an inch to spare. Yeah, like this wasn't a spontaneous decision. No. This is something that has been practiced. This is something that they have explored. Do you and know what exploited. the NFL rule book says? Would it probably wouldn't fly in the NFL? I, I don't know what the NFL rule says. But the amateur rule book is you cry that's the In fact, I don't even know that the punter is on side in the NFL. Yeah. It's logical though that you just move it to the first down line. That, that then oh, it it's completely totally, it's totally it. logical. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, if you want to try it on third and one now, you know, by all means, fill your boots. Yeah, but there'll be more people in your yeah, face. Exactly. So yeah. Oh, wow, that's unbelievable. Um, this could be a lot of fun. How about the return of the Montreal Expos? No, no, no. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know that Tampa's getting a new stadium and stuff, but at Montreal underscore Expos, it's not an official account, obviously. Uh, breaking. According to reporter Jeremy Falosa, who's a fellow MLS uh, broadcaster on Apple, people at the highest levels of Major League Baseball continue to have interest in baseball returning to Montreal. Speaking to one official off the record, MLB sees the process of expanding to 32 teams beginning in 12 to 18 months. Montreal, by far the largest market in Canada or the U.S. without baseball, is at the top of the list of possible cities. But the source reiterates that a local ownership group with or without billionaire Stephen Bronfman is absolutely necessary and the dilapidated structure of Olympic Stadium is a non-starter. Montreal's French character is seen as a benefit as the sport goes international and plays its first regular season games in Paris in 2025. But any expansion team would need appropriate levels of support from the business community, politicians, and media. And this comes uh, a week after Tom Brady was seen... um, making a public appearance at the MLB store, wearing an Expos jersey after being a, a drafted catcher back in 1995, of course. And he has right. mused before about being a part of a return of baseball mm-hmm. to Montreal. Um, and I get there. Major League Baseball is barking up the right tree in terms of... Are they? Well, in terms of, of wanting to look like they are in more places than white bread America. Mm-hmm. You know, like Montreal does give you that. Well, yeah, I... Um... I don't know if there's all, this demand. Visiting though. players used to love it because I'm they sure. felt like it was a trip to Europe. Right. You know, I am a little surprised that Major League Baseball puts value on the um, on French language speaking people around the world for expansion. I would have thought that they would stick a little closer. Well, it's to an F one city. It's a worldly city. If you're in yeah, Montreal, it's a cosmopolitan you're, yeah. city. And, and so all of a sudden you're. Um, you're on the map of the world right. rather than just the United States. You know, there was a time where I felt never in a million years would they go back there. And there are still significant hurdles, as you bring up. But I can remember years ago, Blake, talking about really the only ownership group that makes sense for a Montreal Expos team is Bell. Yeah. Because of the content. that Basically just do the Rogers Blue Jays thing, just in a different city with a different baseball team. I'm not sure Bell has that appetite. No, they don't seem interested in sports anymore. Or, or um, content. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, or media. 
I, so, but the other thing is, is local well, ownership in a stadium, those are huge hurdles because I can't imagine taxpayers are going to want to foot the bill for another stadium given what Olympic Stadium has cost that city in that province. I've been to Montreal a couple times this year, and you know, not that I would necessarily see huge sizes, but I was there during the summer months. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see baseball. I didn't feel baseball around. You know, like um, I, I'm sure there's a grassroots community that would be very strong in supporting them. Yeah. But is there an appetite at large? I don't know. We are going to see a uh, Quebecois player for the Minnesota Twins here, though, Edward Julian. He's hmm. had a fine rookie season for the Twins. Lastly, for me, at CFL underscore headlines, Canadian offensive lineman Giovanni Manu and Theo Benedet drawing NFL teams to the University of British Columbia campus. These two offensive linemen have already drawn visits from the Bears, Panthers, Steelers, Chargers, Seahawks, and Eagles, and Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation reports there could be as many as double digits, 10 or 11 teams that wind up scouting these guys firsthand. Benedet is six foot seven, 305 pounds. He won the Metris Trophy last year as the top lineman in Canadian University football, much like Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and David Oniamata, who both had, Oniamata still active, who have both had NFL careers. Manu is 6'8", 350, can dunk a basketball and do the splits. He's, sorry, 6'8", six, 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 350. <laughs> I should think an NFL team would be interested. And, of course, Dakota Shepley is helping these guys out because that's a former UBC offensive lineman who's now in his fifth year in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts. He had previously played for the Seahawks, Jets, and Cowboys. And thanks to these two behemoths, UBC leads the country, scoring 42 points per game. Their quarterback, Garrett Rook, leads the Canadian University football with 311 passing yards per game. They're 4-1. and one. They just lost, though, didn't they? They just, came they just lost, lost yeah. in Saskatchewan. Uh, their last home game is October 21st versus... Regina. And while we're talking UBC, and my mistake, I meant to mention this yesterday, shout out to our good friend Terry McKegg, the founder of UBC Baseball, who had his retired, had his number 27, retired on the weekend. There was a big reception there at Westbrook Village. So congratulations to Terry and well done by UBC and UBC Baseball. Next step for Terry should be the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame in St. Mary's, Ontario. That would make sense. Rob Fay started tweeting about that. I want to shout out Rob and, and Echo echo his push to get Terry in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's hashtags for today. We're joined now by the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast. And going forward, John Shannon's going to join us on Tuesdays. Hello, Mr. Shannon. How are you today? Tough to wish you a good weekend if I'm on Tuesday. That's true. <laughs> well, That's today it worked after a long weekend for some, although we okay. were just yeah, Well, yeah, that's you a may, good point. Yeah. You may notice a difference in my disposition. I'm usually quite cheery talking to you on a Friday because yeah, I know yeah. I have very little work after I talk to you, and now you're going to get me yeah. on a grumbly Tuesday. Yeah, John, normally he's in such a good mood on Fridays. <laughs> but listen... I've worked 25 years with Bob McCown. You don't have to talk to me worry about guys in big moods. But wait, no, actually, uh, next... that's not true. Between, between the, the first 15 years of my career with Hodge and then McLean and then McCowan, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jeez. 
Okay, well, tell stories then. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's going to be in sunglasses I'll, tomorrow. When Hodge threw the pencil, John. Well, what I tell you, what, fir- first of all, first of all, Maddie, it was a pen. It wasn't a pencil. Right. Okay. Uh, I had actually already been fired by Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, and I was in my house in Calgary and had been hired by the competitor to Hockey Night to produce all of their playoff shows. And when Hodge threw the pen, I almost thought I should start a stopwatch before the phone call would ring. He got out of Maple Leaf Gardens, walked down to the West End Harbor Castle Hotel, and it was 23 minutes when he phoned me and said, you got a job? And I said, yep, you're hired. And we hired him that night unofficially. I had to go to the bosses to get approval in the end, but we hired him that night to be the host of Global Television's Stanley Cup playoff coverage in 1987 and 88. Do you think a play, you think a uh, a host would get fired for throwing a pen out of frustration today? I don't think they would. I, I like I, for some reason that was a bigger deal then. I don't think if somebody got frustrated that it was so I don't think I don't think the person would get fired. Really? No. You know, Don Cherry got fired for saying you people. Right, but that affects a whole bunch of people. Uh, the pen affected one person really right it was, it was it i don't was, know about it, that i i think that if you hey listen i got fired by holding the network hostage the year before so <laughs> i refused to go off the air before we finished telling the story of the flames upset of the oilers i i think that if you were on the air and showed a, a negative situation to the decisions being made yeah to yeah. the programmers uh, i think you'd have a difficult time now that said mm-hmm. i do think just like uh, with with our pal Graves, I do think that the powers that be were probably trying to find a way to get rid of Hodge at that point. Mm. And this became a convenient opportunity when he showed up the network. I'm very happy to report I don't own a pen and I'm not throwing my laptop. So uh, I, I think I'll be safe. Hey, listen, I one have of the ready, Shannon. But one of the great what you're saying, I'm gonna throw it right into the screen. One of the great things about this world, guys, is that we don't really have bosses. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. That's true. Uh, and for those who don't remember the story, it's because CBC cut away from a playoff overtime game. No, to throw no, it. no. It was regular well, season. It was, uh, it was regular season, and and the it was I, I want to say February of 1987. Um, and there was there was a bit of irony involved, and I I, I don't want to take too long, but. The Philadelphia Flyers were ahead of Montreal five to two in the third period, five to two. So if you're the producer in the Leaf game that runs short, you're saying, God, I, I can't fill 28 minutes. Let's just go to the game because it's going to end five to three and we're going to be fine. Well, the yeah. Flyers came back and scored three goals in the third period to tie it, to force the overtime. At that point, the CBC rules were we could not go past 11 o'clock Eastern time because of the national news. You know, the mandate of the CBC is to serve all Canadians, not just hockey fans. Although some people would disagree that for years and years, that's all they did was serve the hockey fans. So the problem became at 5-5, the rules were there. The rules were in place. Dave, we can't stay. You've got to put it, take us off the air, which Dave refused. The irony of it was the guy that scored the fifth goal for the Philadelphia Flyers was a guy named Scott Mellenby. Well, <laughs> Scott Mellenby's dad, Ralph, had been the executive producer until the previous year of the show for about 17 years. And so the, we got a great kick out of it in Calgary because we were all there for the Olympics and we teased Ralph, even though you're not working there, the Mellenby name is still controlling things at Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> 
That's great stuff. <laughs> oh, marvelous stuff. Yes, an iconic, uh, an iconic moment. And I believe you mentioned this to us last year. What, there's three years left now on this yeah. Rogers Hockey Night in Canada deal. And we know the early years didn't go well. Has things gotten better there at all? Like, what do you see going forward here? Are they going to make any substantial changes or are they just running it out here for the next three years? I don't. I mean, I don't think if you talk to anybody at Rogers, they think they're running it out. Uh, they've spent a lot of money. Uh, they've built a lot of uh, infrastructure. The, the new studio that they unveiled last year was not cheap. They're invested in hockey. They have, you know, and they, they've been invested in hockey since they got the contract. Um, and you know, one of the challenges is that they, they had so much content, they learning how to manage it was the biggest challenge. And I, I think they have learned how to manage it. Um, but you know what, I, I suspect that, uh, you know, Ron and Kevin and Kelly and Elliot and Jen are going to be in place on hockey night in Canada, uh, until the contract expires. Yeah. They, they work hard at it. We may not all agree with it every time. But they have worked hard at it, trying to present it in such a manner that is fitting for 2023. Do you, do you think there's a hybrid model to what we've talked about with you before with what's happening with the regional sports networks in the states and teams charging per game? Could Sportsnet go to a hybrid model of that sort of their own center ice package where you don't actually buy Sportsnet, but you buy teams games per se access to that like do you, do you think it could go that route for cable cutters because the cable cutter thing is not going away no it's not um uh, but i don't i really don't think that that's in in their purview i i think that's the that's probably the league's decision just on the league yeah yeah i, I think that and i think that's the big challenge blake for for gary and and bill and all the guys on the on the business side and trust me they have some smart people in that office a guy like steve mccardle who has been promoted in the last, you know, five or six years to, to really quality positions to find a way to not reduce the rights fee in Canada uh, and maintain a, a level of exposure of the game. Uh, does that mean it's going to be Rogers by itself in, in three years? Probably not. Um, does it mean that Bell and TSN are going to come in back in? That's a great question. You know, how, how, how has Bell and, and TSN, how have they been since they lost the contract? Where are their revenues? That's a question. You know, when you see the success of streaming with the Amazon Prime, with the NFL Thursday night game, when you see what Apple is trying to do with MLS, uh, now we're hearing stories about them, you know, digging in for $2 billion for F1. Um, you know, there's going to be multiple platforms for the national game. It's going to be carved up totally different than we could have ever imagined even nine years ago when this contract was done. And it's in many ways, it might be the total antithesis of what we saw when, when Rogers signed the deal with, they were viewed as a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. They were, they were going to be the, the clearinghouse for everything. And perhaps the one thing we've learned is maybe that's not best for the game. Matt, I've always criticized the national hockey league for not going to the NFL model and getting everybody to pay them. And you, you wonder if this is finally going to be the moment where the NHL gets multiple people paying them. Uh, well, they do in the one. States, right? Like they, yeah. do, they, they have multiple yeah. entities in the States yeah. on the national side. It's just uh, in Canada, they chose well, to go. But with we've, one we've, we've had, you know, it's, our country's different because uh, we, you know, without having the volume of audience that the Americans have, uh, the only w- the only way you can really make money is if you control all the content. 
that's, you know, so that you can, you know, garner all the audiences. Um, you know, for the longest time when we, you know, the stories we talked about Hodge in 1987, there was really only one producer of content of hockey in our country. Uh, and it was under the banner of Molson Breweries. Uh, soon after TSN came in and did a national package. The, so things have changed in our country. But I, I think that this was the only way at a time when the league was trying to generate so much more revenue when this deal was done nine years ago, that they were, they were offered $5.2 billion over 12 years. $5.2 billion. You were only going to get that one place and you were only going to, you know, you were, and, and the offer was on the table. And if the Rogers executives left the room, the offer was leaving. That was part of the deal. Here's $5.2 billion, Gary. And if we leave this room, we're, we're taking the offer off the table. And so he took the deal. The one thing it has done, though, John, is that it has taught Bell you can survive without having to pay these huge rights fees to cover hockey. So that's the one thing that Blake and I have, and particularly being on the inside there for a couple of years, wonder about three years from now and the climate, particularly with the media division at Bell, is that will they ever get licensed again to get into that sort of bidding war, given that, you know, TSN continues and continues on reasonably strongly but let me, in let the me nine years. This. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but what, what do you think? And in, in, in my opinion, I, I have an opinion. What do you think right now in our country today? Here we are the first week of October. What is the most valuable media asset in our country? Um, I mean, I would just the national, the, the national and, and uh, regional rights deals for, for hockey, no? I think it's Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I was really? just going to say, and I think you're going to see that over the next couple of days here where you're going to see massive audience because it's, it's the one team that brings people coast to coast. Well, the like Raptors maybe do, you can but still not, argue not, the, not at that level. And maybe you can still argue the Leafs and the Habs do, but boy, we're we're very regionalized. We're well beyond the two solitudes and two hockey teams of of yesteryear. John. But there's a lot of production cost there, guys, for 162 games, right? So, right, but it, but 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 you're only doing one game rather than doing four or five. Um, but uh, I, I think it's the Jays, and I think you, if you're the if you're in the competitive market. And this is just my personal opinion. If you need, if you want to compete against the Toronto Blue Jays, you better have something compelling at least for part of the season. You know, CFL's done okay for TSN. CFL's been fine, but it's not Blue Jays. So what you need to do is, if you can find a way in, you know, March, April, May, and June, at least to have something that can compete on a national basis with the Blue Jays. Then even if you're Bell and you're thinking you're making as much money, maybe you should be taking a step back and saying, we've got to get back into the NHL. We've got to get back on a national level and find a way to put National Hockey League playoff games, Stanley Cup playoff games on some of our platforms. Well, and, and let's face it, the uh, Rogers people have been a little bit unfortunate in that they haven't had a lot of terrific deep runs from Canadian no. teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, that's the Montreal, risk you have. The final, the one that's year, the risk you have. No, I know. Yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned the Blue Jays, uh, John, because we've just come off doing an item. There are reports in Montreal that just because the Tampa Bay Rays are getting a new stadium, don't discount a return to Major League Baseball. 
to that city, the potential for expansion here in the next 12 to 18 months, and Montreal still being the apple of Major League Baseball's eye. They still want to get back there. And, you know, Blake and I used to talk about this back in the day that would Bell do a deal to bring back the Montreal Expos, finance the stadium for the content purposes, just basically do what Rogers is doing with the Blue Jays, just with a, an Expos ball club. What's your sense? Uh, would the Expos work oh. as content? Would the Expos have any kind of national appeal if we brought them back here, say, two, three seasons from now as an expansion team? And Absolutely. Do you think, and Absolutely. do you think Bell or, or other uh, broadcasters, programmers would be interested in owning the club, not just broadcasting the games? Well, I mean, I think the obvious thing with it is Bell. I mean, BCE, Bell's parent company's head offices in Montreal. Uh, the, the question becomes is at what cost in the end? I mean, I think there's enough money in Montreal to, to buy a franchise, but you're also going to have to build a new building. And that's another yeah. billion dollars ahead of the $2 billion it's going to take to buy the franchise. So are you prepared to go into $3 billion to buy a team mm-hmm. for Montreal? That's Mm-hmm. That's the that's going to be the big question. Here's the other thing, and I don't know the regulations within Major League Baseball, but would you need the approval of the Blue Jays to get a team in Montreal? Because after all, that is that is now Blue Jays television and media territory. So do you need their approval? The question then becomes is what would Rogers and Bell have to horse trade in order to get Bell to, to, to invest in the team in Montreal? And what would Rogers get back? So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, has the Constitution been changed? Has the Blue Jays territory expanded since the Expos moved to yes. D.C.? I, I don't yes, know it, the answer. Yes, it has. Oh, it has? Okay. Yes, it has. I mean, the, All right. you know, the, Jay, the Jays are coast to coast to coast. And, sure. and and, no, and I get that from a programming perspective. But as you know, with bylaws and league constitutions, those tend to spell it out. So you're telling me that Major League Baseball has basically rewritten Bylaws and you think the league would like to and keep giving the, door the Jays open. purview over all of Canada. I, I I think it's. I mean, the Jays games have been allowed to be in Quebec, and so now do you want to take that away from them? And I think if I'm, you know, Edward Rogers or Mark Shapiro, I'm sitting in the boardroom saying, well, "Okay, you want to put a team there? What am I getting out of it?" It's yeah. very similar, guys, to what we're when we talked about Montreal and Quebec City. Even though Jeffrey Molson says, you know, we'd love to have the Nordiques, you know very well that, <laughs> yeah. gonna, you know, that's losing 20 to 25 percent of market share and value and viewing ratings and corporate sponsorship yeah. out of the city of Quebec City that doesn't get to Montreal. Yeah, even the Alouettes in the uh, past have uh, publicly supported an expansion <laughs> team in Quebec City, but... Of course, it's when the rubber hits the road, as you know, Joe. What do what do you make of the you know the involvement of Kroenke down in San Diego? Have you ever heard of San Diego as an NHL uh, expansion possibility? Oh, so, I, I, I somebody actually mentioned to me last week because I got into this discussion. Could we envision the NHL expanding not by two, but oh by goodness. four? Oh my God! Oy. Could we imagine? I cannot. No, the answer is I cannot because at what point do you have way too many teams? That, oh, my God. I was just going to say uh, music to Seth Griffith's ears and every other <laughs> AHL superstar. Right. Oh, yeah. Every right one of those now. guys that say they're a 4A player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're second liners. Uh, all and by, the way, so, by, by the way, the four that I, w- I was told, Salt Lake City, 
Houston. Don't laugh. Atlanta. I know, I know. Yeah. And Quebec City. That was oh, the list I was really? given. Mm-hmm. That was that was the list I was given. So Wow. Well, I, I got to admit, I I thought when they announced to go to Vegas and Seattle, I was like, oh, boy, can the player pool sustain that? For the most part, it's been it's pretty been good. Yeah. And, and for the most part, John, that's because everybody can play with the puck now, right? Yeah. Like there is no more granite block defenseman with hands to match. You've got to be able to play with the puck. You've got to be able to skate. Do not talk about on. John Grisdale like that. <laughs> and my hat is off to Hockey Canada and USA Hockey and all the other feeder leagues who have taught this from a young age going forward. Uh, I, I would like to think we don't have coaches out there of nine and 10 year olds with systems where it's off the glass and out for defensemen that no. everybody, every kid is learning how to play with the puck and every kid is learning how to skate the puck out of trouble uh, because the NHL needs it to sustain uh, that everybody? many players in yeah, 32, let alone 36. Clip this franchise. off, clip this off. And when you start to hear about the, uh, about, you know, NHL expansion and not two, but four was on Sakaris and Price. It'll be three, three conferences, the Pacific, the Central mm-hmm. and the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Just watch. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I uh, retain the right to take back all those comments about defensemen skating the puck out of trouble and handling the puck as we watch this Canucks season, which (laughs) we will preview next week, John Shannon, when you join us on Tuesday, the eve of the Canucks home and regular season opener, and of course, the first day of the NHL. Thank you. Have a great day. Harrison Price from Wall Center, presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. A final golf report on the Ryder Cup for you, Blake. Brought to you by the Arnold Palmer Design Whistler Golf Club. Wrapping up another incredible year of golf at the Palmer. Last day of operations, October 8th. There's still some time for some great fall golf. But if you have a group of 12 or more, you're planning something for 2024, visit whistlergolf.com slash groups. Tell us about your group. You, the organizer, plays for free. That's whistlergolf.com slash groups. Uh, Zach Johnson, American captain, we didn't mention this yesterday, fell on his sword saying it's on me, it's not them. His captain's picks, Blake, went 4-12-4 and on the week. And uh, it had Azinger musing about two years from now at Bethpage whether we may see a clash of the titans with regards to captains, Tiger versus Sergio Garcia. Oh boy, that would be spicy. You remember if once Sergio upon gets a time, invited. yeah. Remember once upon a time, of course, a young Sergio off the tree roots, skipping up the fairway, and we all thought this could be the challenger for Tiger. Would they? Would they invite Sergio, who's not allowed it's, to be there as a player? Yeah, I, I don't. I we'll see what the next couple years bring, and whether we're going to yeah. have this coming together. Uh, of a common tour, no more live. Could be a lot of fun at Bethpage, um, especially if they trick out Bethpage. And and I, I mean, again, as we've talked about with these kinds of competitions, I don't know that you play it like a U.S. Open, play the course like a U.S. Open where you're trying to punish strokes. You want to tempt guys into well, things. And, and I've also seen some. Um, I've also seen some in the golf world wondering about. Should we get a neutral party to set up the courses? Like, is it too big of an advantage? Because we've just come off, really, two demolitions. Yeah. One from the Europeans in Europe, one from the Americans in 
America, do you, do you get a third party to set up the golf course so that it's a little plays a little bit more down the middle for each side? Yeah. Good question. Of course, if you're needing a neutral third party to set up that golf, that's got to be the RCGA, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Golf Canada. And then there's this story in the Times of London. And the Americans tried to deny that there was any kind of dissension or unhappiness. Xander Shoffley. And if you followed his career, you may know of the big outsized presence of his father, Stefan Shoffley. And they quite they cut quite a juxtaposition because, you know, Xander's a pretty little guy, very prim proper. His dad's kind of a hot mess, long hair, big swashbuckling German guy. Story in the Times of London said that Xander Shoffley was almost off the team. That the PGA Tour, the PGA of America provided a, a document that players had to sign. And that Xander Shoffley and his team, and Blake, he's one of these guys who has quite a big team with him that travels. Yeah. Some may call it an entourage. Asked for several changes. Stefan Shoffley says the PGA of America wouldn't even talk to our lawyers on this. They basically said, sign the document or you're not playing. Hmm. One of the changes they wanted, they didn't want cameras, full swing cameras in the team room. Yes, we heard about this before and the And Zach event. Johnson and the captaincy or the uh, leadership of the American team relented and they uh, eventually voted to not have the cameras in there. But another part of it was compensation. And as Stefan Shoffley says, the PGA of America and Ryder Cup Europe need to be more transparent and disclose how this money from the Ryder Cup is being distributed. Every player gets a $200,000 donation to their charity of choice. But really, that's about it. And so you do wonder, going forward, whether this hornet's nest is going to be kicked up again particularly when we hear of the sort of money that's involved in the live tour and the potential merger again with the PGA and the live guys. You know what, you know what I'd, I'd do if I was the Ryder cup, I'd say, fine, it's just going to give the $200,000 just going to go to you and you can do with it, whatever you want. And then the player mm-hmm. is under, is a, am I going to stop giving to the charity or am I just going to pocket yeah. it myself? Um, but I mean, Hey, it, if the rights packages and stuff gets to such a point, if the event creates so much money, they should be getting something. Right. Uh, right. Because they are the product here. Where are you on the Olympics? The Olympics predates rights packages. The Olympics is the Olympics because it's the Olympics. Should every Olympian be getting paid? Because it's the same premise. It's They're creating the content, premise. and yet this wasn't a content... Cre- and really, same thing, I guess you could argue with the Ryder Cup. It kind of pre-existed big money television deals. But, um, you know, there's a point where you're just, you're just there because of the prestige, and you want to win said event. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's become content is a parallel event. You'd want to be there anyway. So it's... It's complicated. No, it, it is absolutely complicated. And look, I think uh, golfers are a certain breed because they all remember having to 
come on up. I mean, some of these guys go straight to the PGA Tour and have success early, but for a lot of guys, yeah. and Adam Hadwin has used this phrase with us, you eat what you kill on your way up, and it is costly having to travel everywhere you've got to travel to invest in your golf career. You know, I know of a young Canadian golfer right now who's out there trying to get sponsorship because she's got a very good chance of the LPGA Tour, but now she's got to go out and win some of these mini tours and basically finance her way onto the tour before there's the sort of prize money that can sustain a career. And that's where the, the Ryder Cup is an interesting one. At the Olympics and at other events and at a, in a regular PGA Tour stop, you've got guys going stop to stop. At the Ryder Cup, this is the best of the best. Oh, This is the absolutely. cream of the crop. They're absolutely. making $10 million a year. Oh, of course. So, you know, do you need to compensate them for one weekend? I mean, people are going to be on different sides of that, I yeah. think. Yeah. Let's get to results from yesterday's Bodog poll question. And uh, I'm struggling here on errors and omissions with previous day poll question results. Yesterday on errors and omissions, I said we didn't report the results from Friday, it was actually Thursday, and then I went and missed Fridays. <laughs> <sighs> so yesterday, who do you want to see beside Quinn Hughes? Cole or Susie, McWard, Myers, or an acquired player? What won the poll? Um, I guess say that people like what they're seeing right now. Let's say McWard. An acquired player. Ah. But it was very close. 35%. Kohler Susie got 33%. McWhorter got 29%. Tyler Myers, oh, 4%. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite spread out. Our buddy Zhao, Chris Tanev, never should have let him walk. David, Brett Pesci, Bud Colson, then a first. Might as well go all in. Either something good happens or they'll finally blow it up. And then AK Go says, Ronick. We didn't have Ronick as an option because it just doesn't look like they plan to make that a thing. I'm sure you'll see it when they need a goal late in a game because those are your two best offensive defensemen, but it seems like they do want those guys to anchor their own pair. It just sounds like it's going to be a revolving door of candidates. I split Susie and Cole on YouTube, and Susie won 38%. Did he? Okay. Hmm. Not surprised. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Friday's poll, should the line sign Colin Kaepernick? Yes or no? What do the people say? No. They said yes. 68%. Nick, and shout out Nick. We used to work with him. Says yes to next year, not this year. Colin and planning, no, it'd be a publicity stunt at best. Maybe at one time, but it's been too long. DM37 says, been too long. Five years ago, hell yeah. And then VJ says, yes, but he better honor our anthem. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Bodog line of the day time with Blake Price. Actually, let's get to Arizona Missions first, then Bodog line of the day. I've got one, Grady. Uh, I had Ryu coming out of the bullpen for the Blue Jays in this series. He did not make the roster. Hmm. They're going with the pure relievers. I thought he'd been pretty good since coming back from injury. You got anything on your end? Nope. Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got? We're going to the other Canadian Open in golf, the Sanderson Farms Championship. Two this Canadians one. have won <laughs> yes. this in the last decade, Nick Taylor and Mac Hughes. Uh, I don't see Taylor listed as being at the event this year. Mac Hughes is the defending champion. Here. Yes, he is. Hmm. But I don't think he's going to defend. I'm going to go to Adam Svensson. Let's go for the hat trick of Canadian wins at the Sanderson Farms, plus 4,500. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.